It was when the foundry imploded that Reese's curiosity about his world became unbearable. The shift started normally enough with a thump on his cabin wall from the fist of Sheen, his shift supervisor. Groggily, Reese pulled himself from his sleeping net and moved slowly about the jumbled cabin, grinding through his wake-up routines. The water from the rusty spigot emerged reluctantly in the micro-G conditions. The liquid was sour and cloudy. He forced down a few mouthfuls and splashed his face and hair. He wondered with a shudder how many human bodies this water had passed through since its first collection from a passing cloud. It had been dozens of shifts since the last supply tree from the raft had called with fresh provisions, and the belt's antique recycling system was showing its deficiencies. He pulled on a stained one-piece coverall. The garment was getting too short. At fifteen thousand shifts old, he was dark, slim, and tall enough already and still growing, he thought gloomily. This observation made him think with a stab of sadness of his parents. It was just the sort of remark they might have made. His father, who had not long survived his mother, had died a few hundred shifts ago of circulatory problems and exhaustion. Suspended by one hand from the doorframe, Reese surveyed the little iron-walled cabin, recalling how cluttered it had seemed when he'd shared it with his parents. He pushed such thoughts away and wriggled through the narrow doorframe. He blinked for a few seconds, dazzled by the shifting starlight, and hesitated. There was a faint scent on the air, a richness like meat sim. Something burning? His cabin was connected to his neighbours by a few yards of fraying rope and by lengths of rusty piping. He pulled himself a few feet along the rope and hung there, eyes raking the world around him for the source of the jarring scent. The air of the nebula was, as always, stained blood red. A corner of his mind tried to measure that redness. Was it deeper than last shift? While his eyes flicked around the objects scattered through the nebula above and below him, the clouds were like handfuls of greyish cloth sprinkled through miles of air. Stars fell among and through the clouds in a slow, endless rain that tumbled down to the core. The light of the mile-wide spheres cast shifting shadows over the clouds, the scattered trees, the huge blurs that might be whales. Here and there he saw a tiny flash that marked the end of a star's brief existence. How many stars were there? As a child, Reese had hovered among the cables, eyes wide, counting up to the limits of his knowledge and patience. Now he suspected that the stars were without number, that there were more stars than hairs on his head, or thoughts in his mind, or words on his tongue. He raised his head and scoured a sky that was filled with stars. It was as if he were suspended in a great cloud of light, the star spheres receded with distance into points of light, so that the sky itself was a curtain glowing red-yellow. The burning scent called to him again, seeping through the thin air. He wrapped his toes in the cabin cable and released his hands. He let the spin of the belt straighten his spine, and from this new viewpoint surveyed his home. The belt was a circle, about eight hundred yards wide, a chain of battered dwellings and workplaces connected by ropes and tubes. At the centre of the belt was the mine itself, 
A cooled-down star kernel, fifty yards wide, lifting cables dangled from the belt to the surface of the star kernel, scraping across the rusty meniscus at a few feet per second. Here and there, fixed to the walls and roofs of the belt, were the massive white metal mouths of jets. Every few minutes a puff of steam emerged from one of those throats, and the belt tugged imperceptibly faster at his heels, shaking off the slowing effects of air friction. He studied the ragged rim of the nearest jet. It was fixed to his neighbour's roof, and showed signs of hasty cutting and welding. As usual, his attention drifted off into random speculation. What vessel or other device had that jet come from? Who were the men who had cut it away? And why had they come here? Again the whiff of fire. He shook his head, trying to concentrate. It was shift-change time, of course, and there were little knots of activity around most of the cabins in the belt, as workers, grimy and tired, made for their sleep nets, and, a quarter of the belt's circumference from him, a haze of smoke hovered around the foundry. He saw men dive again and again into the greyish fog. When they re-emerged, they tugged limp, blackened forms.